Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here and welcome to this issue of Masters. And I'm already feeling so uh, emotional, <laughs> connected, centered, incredibly, incredibly grateful for this opportunity. Um, first of all, because I'm sitting with a, a dear friend, somebody that I've known for a number of years and uh, somebody that I, I follow only because, I don't know about you guys, but as much as there is bad news out there, there is incredible good news. Somebody said it to me recently that what's happening right now, because there's so much pain and heartache on the planet right now, is that there are a lot of people who have gone into training, a lot of healers who have gone into training. So we are releasing this more now than at any other time in history, releasing this army of healers, people who are out there to combat, so to speak, uh, all the negativity out there. And for me, Angela, who I'm sitting with right now, plays that role. You really do. Because I, when I follow you and I, I comment often or I, I like your postings, but otherwise I just sit there and I read. And I read with gratitude and with just peace of mind. Somebody that can provide peace of mind for you nowadays in this community, in this society, on this planet, Wow, what a gift. And you're that gift for me. So straight up, I have to just thank you for that. And you just said, you, before we started recording, you said no crying and I'm already crying. So thank you, Angela. Thank you, Wynn. The way God is. First and foremost, thank you so much for giving me this blessing and this opportunity. I'm not going to get emotional, but um, yes, 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 as my little dog is licking my nose and giving mommy love because he feels my energy. Wow. I am here, and because of you, I get to share my story to all the people out there. And yes, we are in a time right now where it's just mind-boggling and... It's unfortunate in, in many ways, but at the same time, there's always that light, and that's what we have to focus on, and so that's why we are here. Yes. So thank you. I love telling these stories. So you guys, I have a lot to read. I was telling Angela that I tried to edit her her bio, everything that she's accomplished and her story and who she is, and, and I try to get it as short and as quick as possible, but you guys sit back, okay, So because this could be a little lengthy. So Angela Rockwood was born in Clovis, New Mexico, and experienced the world growing up as a child of a career military man. So I'm reading this. She started modeling at the age of 17, later becoming a fitness instructor, which led her into the world of martial arts. At 22, she relocated to Los Angeles and within a year was engaged to her best friend. They bought a house and she fell back into the entertainment world by launching an acting career with small roles in The Fast and the Furious and the syndicated television series VIP. Angela's life was practically perfect until turmoil struck one week before 9-11 on September 3rd, 2001. She and her two bridesmaids were driving home from a trip in San Francisco when her girlfriend spun out of control. Angela was in the back seat, was thrown from the side rear triangular window, suffering a broken back, and severed spinal cord. As a result, she was diagnosed as a C4 quadriplegic. There are parts of your story that were actually captured on video for Entertainment Tonight, which we're going to talk about. Uh, you're going to tell your own story, but I need you to know that 
the, the world she lives in now. She's an ambassador for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. She represents the Paralysis Resource Center. She has spoken to all kinds of different groups, appeared as a model for Target, Nordstrom's, Toyota. Now, again, all of this has happened after becoming a quadriplegic. She's appeared on the Larry King live show. People Magazine did a story on her talking about her paralysis. She has done national commercials for AARP, Maybelline, and Sony. She was featured in a wonderful documentary called Cinnability, which includes Ben Affleck, Jamie Foxx, and Jane Seymour. And how I got to know Angela was through, I love this show, uh, Sundance Channel's which, by the way, was a Critic Choice Award for Best Reality Series called Push Girls. And that story was five women in chairs following you around, and that was just phenomenal. I mean, that was groundbreaking for, for many, many reasons. For everybody, for me personally, remember the night we all went out dancing? That, that was a pretty profound moment for me. Like, really? Yeah, because... You know, I, I have to remind myself often to just sit back, shut up, and be a learner. Like, I sometimes envy the person that I was 30 years ago when I was just a student. And I loved being a student. And, you know, when you're paid to speak, when you're paid to have an opinion, it's sometimes hard to get off that stage and just be quiet and go back to being a learner. But what do they say? You can't be a really good teacher if you're not a good student. You know, you can't be a, a good leader if you're not a good follower. And so I try to remind myself, and I just, I specifically remember that night that I just kept on saying to myself, when be a student here, be a learner here, sit back and observe and learn. And it was, it was an incredible night for me because of your exposure on the Push Girls. You have made TV appearances on Ellen, Jeff Provo's show, Marie Osmond's show, Access Hollywood, Inside Edition, Good Day LA Extra, uh, Katie Couric, KCAL, Good Morning America. My gosh, this goes on and on. Entertainment Tonight, and then you even made an appearance at the White House, which I, I didn't know that. What was that all about? Oh my gosh. It was surreal. It was truly surreal because, one, during that time, a lot of people don't know this, but when I received my show, Push Girls, I had just separated from my husband and I had lost all of my nursing care. So here I was a quadriplegic getting 16 to 24 hours of nursing care and you lose all of it. And you're sitting there thinking, who's going to take care of me? And then all of a sudden you're blessed with this TV show with your best friends. So I was just literally putting one wheel in front of the other and just rolling and going through it that when we were there, I remember we were in the White House. It was Tiffany, Autimia, Mia, and I remember there, there's no words, but we had the honors and the blessing to be there to showcase our first episode of Push Girls. And we were on a panel and sitting next to me, a dear friend and one of the trailblazers from the 80s, Jerry Jules, was there and we were talking about disability in the entertainment industry and how much it's changed. And that was so many years ago. Mm. And here's our show coming right through them doors, blasting them open, and here we were. Mm. I had the honor of bringing the four of you to Las Vegas and putting you in front of <laughs> 3,000 of my Palm Mitchell students and team members. And again, just a, a really, really 
monumental moment. I will never, ever, ever forget that trip. That trip was so phenomenal to me because one, I remember, I was like, we're flying into Vegas and we're gonna be meeting with everybody. I don't wanna fall asleep because our flight, we went in, it was a late flight. And I remember I took a little bit of decaf and we flew in, we arrived in Las Vegas and then it turned, I think we had to cancel and reschedule. So I was wide awake and I didn't sleep that night at all. And the Judy, remember Anthe Judy from the show, she put me to bed. She's like, you have to go to bed. And I was like, I know. And I was like, I kept, I was just, I was so excited that I did not sleep. And the next morning, it wasn't even the next morning. It was a few hours later. We had to be up early to be on that stage and we rocked it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I did it, but the girls and I, if you watch the video, we rocked that house. Mm -hmm. And then we continued until the night and we danced till the floors were literally shaking. Do you remember that? Of course I did. I was like, oh my God, the floors are shaking. And Auntie was there dancing her wheels off. Mia, Chelsea, everybody was dressed in white. It was magical. For, for all of us. So as we jump into this, and we're going to tell your story, or we're going to ask you to tell your story, but just, you know, straight up, just how do you feel about the word disability? Just educate us so I can get the terminology here, because you, you hear a person with disability or, or differently abled. Educate us on what works for you. Oh, wow. That's a huge question. There's so many answers to that one. But first, let me start that I really believe that words are very powerful. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to heal and destroy. And when you sit there and say the word handicap or crippled or um, there's so many words I can use. But in our society, words are very important nowadays, especially with the pronouns and everything and being quote unquote disabled. I even remember when I got paralyzed, the doctor said to my father and my ex-husband, you know, um, just be happy she's alive. Um, she's now a quadriplegic. My ex-husband didn't even know, what is a quadriplegic? Oh, she's disabled. Well, what does that mean? Oh, she has three to 5% chance of moving or feeling anything from the neck down. And to me, hearing that, okay, so what does that mean? I'm not gonna move. I'm not gonna live my life. So I'm, and some people use the word differently, abled. I don't care. I told my husband, I said, you better wipe that sadness off of your face because I am going to move and feel in other ways. The word disability, differently abled, whatever, I'm not going to allow it to paralyze the way I see things and how I'm going to live my life. And so people use these words and they place it upon us and one of the words too is bound she's homebound she's wheelchair bound that's another word there's a lot of words we can go into this but basically for me when i'm here to rebrand disability to put the ability back into disability wow so that's what i can say to you I have heard you say that you feel like your paralysis was for a reason. Now, again, we haven't even told your story yet because people are like, well, how did she become a quadriplegic? But you feel like your paralysis was for a reason. Did you have that sense even before the accident? I did. Really? I did, yeah. I was just that typical 
teenage girl that was graduating from high school. I was full of anxiety, fear. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I had two art scholarships. Here I was in a home that I knew I needed to get out and go out into the world, but I just wasn't sure. I remember literally dropping to my knees and praying to God, what do I do? And I got this flash of a vision of my life for, I would say, about the first couple 20 years. And in it, I saw an accident. Really? But it wasn't like I didn't see I was going to be paralyzed. And what's crazy to really go in depth, I did leave my house at 17 after graduating. And I went to Hawaii. And my mom, who's very much into that ooey-ooey world of psychics and things like that. I mean, here in America, they call them psychics. But in Thailand, I would say they're more like prophetess. They're born with this ability to see things. And, and they're gifted. She brought me to this woman, and the woman had told my mom, your daughter is very blessed. She has the ability that whatever she says with her mouth, good or bad, she manifests it. And, but of course, they're speaking in Thai, so they're not saying these exact words. But in a roundabout way, she warned my mother and said she has to be careful because your daughter, she can be in this horrific car accident. Really? So I remember her writing it all down on this paper, and I kept this paper with me. And when I moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, I remember taking the paper out, looking at it and saying, I'm going to be in charge of my destiny. And I remember ripping this paper up, throwing it away. So when I did move to Los Angeles, I did share my story with a few friends of mine who remember me telling them that I knew I was going to be in a bad car accident. So when I woke up in that hospital, paralyzed from the neck down, I opened my eyes and I looked up at that ceiling and I knew. I knew right away. I mean, the first thought was, oh my God, I'm alive, I survived. And the second thought, I knew it. This was the big bang that I'd been waiting for. But what's crazy is, I didn't have any fear. I had this sense of peace that came over me. And I could hear this voice talking to me, guiding me, and telling me these things. And I had the flash of vision again. And I asked my father to sit by my bedside and he wrote word for word that vision, and I'm living it till this day. Wow. wow. Now, you, you have been sharing this journey with, obviously, hundreds if not thousands of people, but in particular with these other three and four women who you were had the TV show with, your very good friend, Octi, who recently passed away of, of breast cancer. I know that was a big, big loss. Yeah. Did you have these same kind of conversations with them? Did they have a premonition? Did they see their accident, their paralysis as a gift, as a blessing? Because I, I know specifically that I asked all four of you, if you could go back. Now, Mia didn't have an accident. She woke up one day and she was paralyzed. Uh, so the, the other three were not quadriplegic. They were paraplegic. Mm -hmm. But I, I asked all of them because it's just a question that I always ask and I could probably share with you why I like to ask this question. But if you could go back and change that day, if you go go back and change the day where you had the accident, meaning it never happened and you are, are not a quadriplegic, would you go back and change that day? And all four of you said, absolutely not. Exactly. Yes. Oh my God, you're making me remember all this and it's stirring all these emotions and everything. But... um. We weren't supposed to cry, when We weren't supposed to cry. My push girls, it was all divine. 
It definitely is divine. I always said that our common denominator you think is our wheelchair, but it's our spirit. And all of us believe that we were all placed in the wheelchair and been put on this path, transformed and transported into the realm of the paralyzed because it is a gift. It is a blessing to us. Mia would not take it back. Tiffany, she knew what her calling was after. Ati, when she was in that car accident, she had an out-of-body experience like myself. And she remembered the words before she was placed back into her body and dropped back into the car when they had brought her back onto this realm. And that's something that the four of us, that was our connection. And that's what made us powerful is because we knew we were going to go out into the world and we were going to make this impact to remind others that no matter what happens, you can push through, you can get through it. And we're all here for a reason to do our calling and to share and to give and to be here for one another. So you, so you had that premonition that, okay, this is happening for a reason. We are on a mission. We have a message to share. And I get it that you're on that stage and you're passionate about that message for a minute, for a couple of years, but life isn't getting easier. And we can talk about that for you. It's not. When but I, you're still, how many years later, you're still on that stage. Yeah. It's got to be exhausting to still be on that stage, still having to tell the story or allowed to tell the story or privileged to tell the story and still deliver that message. Can I share with you why I ask that question of uh, people who have had some sort of life altering experience where it physically changed them? So whether it was a, a friend who lost both legs being blown up in Afghanistan or the reason why I ask is because, you know, I, I feel like I'm a powerful guy. I feel like I'm pretty motivated and driven. I can go to the gym. I can do a lot. But I've always had that sense that if something physically happened to me, I don't think that I would deal with it very well. I don't. Like there's other things that I've had to overcome from a, a drug addiction and and all kinds of other things. I just feel like, so for some reason, I've been drawn to people who have to struggle and have overcome something physically because that's where I feel like my lesson. That, that's my weakness and therefore that's where I want to hang out. That's where I want to be a student. That's where I want to learn. That's why I'm drawn to people who can teach me that lesson. That's why I asked that question. So immediately when you say that's my weakness, no, it's not a weakness. We're going to rewrite your story because I can tell you right now when that I was that woman just like you. I was a just adrenaline junkie. I worked out every day in the gym. I was a gym rat. I was a martial artist. I raced motorcycles. My physical body was everything to me. I was a machine. I, fe I felt like I had Bruce Lee's spirit within my vessel. And to wake up in that hospital bed, and I wasn't even made a paraplegic. I was a quadriplegic. And at that time, I couldn't even lift up. I couldn't even lift my head up. I was completely paralyzed from the neck down, and I couldn't feel anything. But I had that peace within me. And I didn't know what was going to happen, what journey I was about to embark, but I felt it within me. And what I can tell you is, I know I'm a very fearless woman. And for you to sit there, I know you saying that your fear would be the physical. 
and all the stuff that you've gone through with the drug addiction and everything like that. But you got through it. You got through it. And your essence and your spirit is a warrior. It's strong. You are a force to be reckoned with. And if, rebuke, that had ever happened to you, I know you would get through it. Because there's no words for it. We are survivors. We're fighters. And for me, I didn't care. I remember telling my ex-husband, Dustin, he was sitting there, and I remember telling him, I'm still the same. I'm still Angela. My essence, my force, it's still who I am. Just because I woke up in this vessel that's not moving, that does not change me, if anything, I'm going to be stronger. And I will tell you because people will ask me, oh, was there ever a time when you were depressed or sad or this because this happened to you? No. What bothered me, and I remember I went into my backyard and I spent a whole year. I would recline my wheelchair down and I would ask God over and over and over again, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Not for paralyzing me in my body, but why would you make me so in tuned? Because here I was, not only was I this martial artist and this gym rat, but I was also focusing on my mind and my spirit and meditating every day. And I was able to get my sixth and seventh sense more awakened and more alive that when I walked into a room and I brushed up against someone, I would hear and feel all their angels. And here I was giving these messages to all these people and becoming more clairvoyant. And I thought to myself, why is it that now I'm paralyzed? Why would you do this and make me so powerful and now take it away? So at the end of that year, I had my answer. They're like, you didn't lose it. It's still inside of you. We're forcing you to sit still, to sit your butt down. Because I was that woman running around doing five to six things at once. So here I was now, I had to learn to harness that energy, that power that I still had within and make it even stronger and even more in tuned and even more aware, even though I'm here still. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Which is why you now see me the way I am. Which is why I want to put you on a stage. That's why I want to put you on this stage with this podcast. We were, we were sharing before we started recording that, you know, I'm a white dude. You know, I, I have to work a little hard on that stage for people like, oh, here's another white dude. He's not going to teach me anything. And so I got to you know, tell silly jokes and make fun of myself and do all kinds of things on a stage to try to get people to relate to me or to get comfortable with me. I put you on a stage and people are like, okay, I can learn something because they can see it. They can see your chair. They can see your immobility. And they, for some reason, do you feel like that has been a gift and a, yes. and a blessing to yes. you? That it, that it, while some people are thinking, well, so many doors have closed for her. There's a ramp coming up to your house. There's a ramp to get into your shower. So many doors have closed for her. Do you see it the other way that, wow, look at the doors that opened up. People are more willing and accepting. Do you feel that it's that way? Yes. I'm going to say yes, 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 without hesitation. As Wynn is sitting there asking me this question, I'm over here just nodding and nodding and nodding because that is what it is. I came into an industry where it's all about your beauty, your outer shell. 
And I've been trained and conditioned from a young age of in high school, getting into the modeling world, going to school, learning from John Robert Powers to John Casablancas to looking at social media, to the media, to magazines, to being perfect, looking perfect. That when I walk into a room auditioning and competing with other women that look like me, because if it says, oh, Asian role, Asian woman, tall, 5'9", this weight, da-da-da-da, it's like a whole breakdown. So when I walk in that room, there's 50 million women that look just like me going for a role. So here it is now, I'm in a wheelchair. And I roll into the room and I'm sitting paralyzed with my legs crossed with my noodle arms hooked to the wheelchair so I don't fall forward, but yet I still have my energy. But to answer your question, yes, I do know now, I learned, and someone actually hit the nail on the head. I was on Push Girls, and there was a producer who was actually the producer, I think the network was ABC at the time. He saw me on Push Girls, and he asked my executive producer, I need to meet Angela. So fast forward to this meeting, I rolled into his office, and I remember him saying, Angela, what do you want to do with your life? And that answer ended up turning into a 40-minute answer. But he basically had called me in because at that time that network had partnered up with a medical company and they needed a TV host. And so when he saw me, he thought I would be perfect because I'm sitting in a wheelchair. But as he got to know me in those 40 minutes when I answered that question, he realized I was more than the medical, quote unquote. But the reason why he said he called me in was because they didn't want to hire celebrities because they wanted to hire someone that was real, someone that when you looked at that individual, you can relate to them. And so I thought about that and I said, oh, okay, I get it. Because people will see me and the funny thing is when, if you and I go out right now and you start pushing me around in Los Angeles, a place where people base off of the way you look and that's how they want to judge you, there's a certain power that I have now being in this wheelchair. I can pick the real people out to the fake people because whether someone looks at me and they can look me right in my eyes or they're uncomfortable, I can read the energy, or if they're just plain out fake and just not even looking at me and just walking by. I mean, there's different things that I can read, but yeah, being in this wheelchair, it, it, it is a gift in the sense of, for me, I can get straight into someone's soul, knock down all the walls and just get to the real of it. Wow. And I think, I, not I think, I know that they've done studies. There's a lot of people, like when you think the worst of the worst, a lot of people's fear, the worst of the worst is, yeah, being a quadriplegic. Being paralyzed from the neck down, not being able to move, mm -hmm. having to rely on others. Now, there are folks where, luckily, fortunately, I was able to start getting some movement back in my upper body. But I have friends that are hooked up to ventilators. Some of them have to be fed, things like that. And the thing is, a lot of people's fear is if they become paralyzed from the neck down like that. And so immediately, when you see someone like myself in a room, on a stage, and you know she's a quadriplegic, you already have 
the mental idea of, gosh, how difficult is her life? Oh my God, she's paralyzed from the neck down. Someone has to wipe her, her buttocks or this or feed her or this. But yet when you hear my resume of what I've accomplished, yes, they're going to stop, perk up right. and listen. Right. How did she do that? But she's paralyzed. Right. Well, actually, that, that does kind of lead me into, and again, not that I want to focus on this, but people have curiosity. People want to know and, and they need to know. So what, what is it, the day-to-day -day ritual of being a quadriplegic? You just recently went to Thailand and I was reading that posting of what it took for you to be able to get on a plane for that long and, and like the, the right clothing and the socks and we got to prepare this and then halfway through we got to go and... What, what is that like? Just give us a little Reader's Digest version, bird's eye view of what is it like. Because you, you have a morning ritual. You have a, you're dependent on a caregiver. So somebody comes to the house. Somebody puts you to bed. Somebody does all of that. So Exactly. I will tell you right now, and openly and honestly, it is not easy. Living life with quadriplegia is not easy. But, but I can make it look glamorous. And it is doable, and you can live a very beautiful life and have a good life if you do it right. With lots of patience, lots and lots of patience, and strategically planning everything out. You have to plan everything out. And again, the patience and just pushing through everything. So yes, my daily just, and as I'm getting older too, it's a little more difficult. But I'm a very extremely patient woman, and thank God for that. And I've become even more patient. So you get tested, but as long as you stay in the moment and you realize that as long as you get through it, then you can be blessed on the other side. So for me, getting up in the morning, I do have a caregiver. A caregiver comes in, and I have to be bathed. I am catheterized because I cannot void or defecate on my own, so I've, I'm assisted in that way. And from putting lotion on, to putting my clothes on, to uh, putting me, hoisting me up in what we call a Hoyer lift, a device that helps an individual like myself get into the wheelchair. And from brushing my teeth to eating, I can feed myself, thank God. I'm a foodie and that's my only thing where I'm very OCD and that's the only thing that I can actually control uh, because I am Miss Micromanager in sense. But uh, like flying, like traveling, me going to Thailand, that was so difficult. That was so difficult. And all the obstacles that were thrown on my path right before the trip, I was just like, no, I'm not. I'm going to do this. And I think my stubbornness, which, you know, I hear it all the time. You're so stubborn. You're so stubborn. But it's not about being stubborn. It's about wanting and desiring something so bad I'm not gonna allow my disability to get in the middle of it. And so I just have to strategically plan everything. And like you said, it was a 41 hour trip upright. Remember, I'm not laying down and I'm not standing up. So from the moment that I got into my wheelchair in Hayutia, Thailand, it's a city in Thailand, a small town, it was 12 o'clock. I got transferred into the van. I drove an hour to Bangkok. I did not get to that airport till 10.30 that night because I was visiting a friend in Bangkok. So I was already sitting upright for 10 hours. And then we had to wait another five hours to
to get on our plane at 4 a.m. And then the flight is seven hours and then a, a layover, three hour layover in Doha and then another 14 hour flight. I did not sleep on both flights because I had to be responsible at that time to continuously lean forward doing uh, pressure releases, what we call, to lay off my buttock so I wouldn't get a pressure wound. So by the time I was picked up in Philadelphia International Airport and brought home, it was 41 hours. Jeez. It was exhausting. Wow. I was just completely exhausted. Mm. So by the time I laid down in that bed, I knocked out. And then it took me a while to recoup and get back all my energy, and then I was back up again. Mm. Yeah, but that's how I do it. And I will tell you that there are days that I am drained because of what my body is doing nowadays, but doing things like this interview, to going out and helping people, to supporting, to life coaching, it refuels me. And I don't know what it is, but I get this energy and you forget about it. Yeah. I know that you are very, very passionate about, because we prepared for this, you and I chatted prior to, to, to getting together. You shared with me that some of your real passionate topics and messages uh, is the idea of pushing boundaries, living life to its fullest, without fear. Probably any life coach or any speaker, including white dudes like me, would say, oh, that's my passion too. My passion is uh, trying to tell people to live life to the fullest, but coming from you takes on a whole another meaning. So why is that your, your passion and you also said that life during COVID was pretty challenging, a lot more challenging. Yeah. So you, you, you come out of that, again, stronger than when we all went into it. Everything happens for a reason, and the reason is for our good, and that we get better and stronger and better clarity. That's what we have to pull out of experiences such as COVID. But you come out of that with uh, even more passion for those messages. The way I look at it, when we have our downtime, when we have those moments where obstacles are in our way, like COVID, for the folks that are following me for the first time, three and a half years ago when COVID began, four years ago, like time's flown by so fast, but I was bedridden for nine months because I ended up getting my first pressure wound. And when I finally got back up again, that second year, I injured my leg, and then I was bedridden again for five months. But it wasn't even about me being bedridden. It was a fact that I couldn't find caregivers because it was just the caregivers were obviously afraid to go out and get COVID. So it was hard because not only was I dealing with being bedridden, but now I was trying to find someone to help take care of me because I can't even get up and get a drink of water for myself. But in those moments... I believe that's when my faith takes over in the sense of at that moment, I know that everything's going to come through. I don't freak out. I'm fearless. And I believe that there's going to be an answer. Something will come through and I remain patient. So fortunately, yes. But during those times when you have your downtime, you have to look at it as your sacred space, the time to reflect, the time to, when the universe is telling you to take care of yourself, 
And I always reminded myself. And so now when it happens, instead of getting upset and wanting to fight back, I just stay within the moment and I work from the bed. Okay, how do you do that? And how often do you have to remind yourself of that? Because for me, in the middle of the night, I need a drink of water. I get up, I get myself a drink of water. You talk about uh, having the patience. You wake up in the middle of the night for anything or even in the morning. How often do you have to... You're ready to get out of bed, but you have to wait for a caregiver. How often does that happen? Sometimes I don't even sleep. I'll just lay there. So I'll just start meditating and just keep reminding myself and reminding myself that I will get through it. I know that nothing is permanent. It's only temporary. And thank God I have my cell phone most of the time there. So I will go on social media. I will reach out to friends. I will just continue sharing my light and taking myself out of that moment so I'm not in my head stressing about that specific moment of what's going on, whether I'm laying in my urine or I'm so thirsty that I can't have someone bring water to me. It's me connecting with a friend because I'm feeling them at that moment. What are you doing? Are you okay? Or me on social media leaving a wonderful message to a girlfriend that I know needs support. So within those two, three, four hours that I've been laying there waiting for someone to come, I've reached out to many individuals to share my light. So I've taken myself out of that misery oh of gosh. craziness. That alone, my gosh, what a message. Because usually when we're feeling that, mm-hmm. I'm feeling bad of myself, I'm having a little pity party, I'm not getting what I want or what I need, I'm going to dive into it even more. I'm going to put on sad music. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach out to all the people who will agree with me that my life sucks. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're always standing by because they'll agree with you. You're right. Your life sucks. You should feel this way. I'm going to watch super sad movies. I'm going to remember everybody who ever did me wrong. That's the place that we want to go. No, you can't. What kind of a habit or skill set or discipline does it take for you to... And you're having to do that often. I maybe have to do that... I don't know, once a month, if that, maybe once every six months where I'm feeling that way, like I deserve to have a pity party right now. And that's normal. That's completely normal. And that's healthy in the sense of us. We are these vessels. We are these spiritual beings in this physical body. We have to remember that. So here we are. We chose, I believe we chose, we came into this realm to be in these physical bodies. Most of the time, my physical body is in chronic pain pins and needles, backstabbing, uh, spasms, I'm completely uncomfortable. So most of the time I'm numbing my body, trying to get out of it and try not to feel all of it. So that's what I do by distracting myself, by sharing my light, by giving my love, by reaching out to people so I don't have to focus on that. So when you are in that predicament where you're feeling sad or miserable or hating on yourself, we all get there. Go ahead, write your thoughts down. Go ahead, get it out. Go ahead, scream. Go ahead and let the tears come out. Go ahead, look in the mirror and have that talk with yourself. Let it all out. And then find your source, your outlet. So allow that energy of goodness to flow back into your vessel, whether you're meditating, whether you're praying, whether you turn on good music and start dancing to get those endorphins, whether you go to the gym and punch the bag, you have to recharge again. You have to be the leader, the captain of your vessel to make sure you take charge and take care of yourself. I was in front of a 
a group of Palm Mitchell students just a couple of days ago. And um, I can say this from the stage, your job, the career that you have chosen, how you're going to make money is to make people look good and to feel good. Of course, they all know the answer. They, they say it out in unison. My job is to make them look good and to feel good. And, I, and they all say it in unison, right? And then I say, but then if I go to your social media, which by the way is your brand, that's what you're selling, am I going to feel good? And some of you are running a little Jerry Springer show through your social media page, and yet this is your brand. And, but what you're telling us is that you just named a whole bunch of resources that you can go to, including being there for other people, including giving back and, and helping other people who might be struggling. That helps you get out of your own pity party. You have a whole list of resources that, that you can go to to get you through that. Exactly. What, what did you call it? Your downtime is your sacred place. Exactly. Love so, that. so for your students, first of all, Wid, you need to have a separate account. Your personal account that's private <laughs> with your friends and family that you can vent and do whatever you need to, and then have your brand account. So that I mean it's normal. It's completely normal. And there are influencers out there that will share their bad days, their hard days, but they're gonna bring it back up again. Because if you're going to sit there and complain, I always say, if you're in a business meeting or running a business and you're going to sit there and complain, you have that much nerve to sit there and complain, well, you better bring some answers to the table of how to change it. Right. So if you're going to sit there and go on your social media and just complain and complain and just biatch about whatever's going on in your life, <laughs> then you better bring it of how you changed it because people are watching you. And if you choose to have this career of making people look good and feel good, that's your calling. That's your thing. So you better bring it to the table. Talk to me about gratitude and, and, and what gratitude brings to your world. Gratitude is a superpower. I teach mm -hmm. manifestation classes and you can sit there and put out all the tools about manifesting and visualizing and journaling and doing all of this. But I tell my students, the number one thing that you have to remember about manifesting is being grateful. Every day you must be grateful. When I wake up, I am grateful. When I'm able to get in my wheelchair and be upright right now, I'm grateful. When I'm here with you, I'm grateful. Any little thing that you can think of, I don't have to be on a ventilator. I'm grateful. I may not have my dexterity in my fingers, but I still can take this mascara sitting next to me with rubber bands on it, use my mouth and my palm of my hands and still open it up and put my mascara on. I'm grateful for that because I can move a little bit. So anything that you can focus on, the little tiniest thing, be grateful for it because it's going to spark that magic within your vessel. And then you're going to continuously, like a snowball rolling down the hill, be grateful for so many things. And then it lights you up. And then before you know it, you're on cloud nine. And then you're out in the world emanating this light. And it's because you're grateful. Mm -hmm. And more things will attract in your life, bringing more positivity, bringing more gratefulness, bringing more love. And here you are, living your life in gratefulness. See, and I want to learn the lesson through people, friends, teachers, mentors, such as you, 
who obviously have more credibility than I do, who have the credibility because it's not just words, it's not just a platitude, it's you're coming from, from conviction because of what you yourself have had to overcome and what you continue to overcome. I think those are great, those are great teachers. And credibility is so important, not just credibility that you have a great resume, which you do, but credibility that you have fallen down a lot. You have had to overcome a lot. So, gosh, what a, what a powerful message. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And I've heard that from so many mentors, and I haven't heard it enough because it's so easy to slip into that pity party. You also said that one of your uh, powerful or passionate messages right now is to show the world that beauty comes in all shapes, sizes, color, age, and every vessel. You've used that word vessel a lot today, which... I think I know what you're talking. Well, I do know what you're talking about, but because there was that mantra, "You are not your body. You are not your body." Was that something that you had to repeat to yourself? No, I've, no? I've never even heard that message. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never heard that message. Wow. Um, I just, for me, I'm all about. I've always been like, even before the car accident, like mind, body, and spirit. And I know our body is very powerful. I'm, I'm both right and left brain. A lot of people don't know this because they think, oh, she's a model, she's an actor, she's in the entertainment industry. But I actually, my love, uh, when I was finishing school, I wanted to go into the medical field. And I've just always been fascinated with the body. And the body is very powerful. But for me now, as I'm sitting here in this wheelchair, I'm not so much just a paralyzed body. I am a vessel. I'm a vessel a force of nature. I am here to serve the good of mankind. I am here to bring my light. And no matter whether it's that body that I used to be in or this body, I am on wheels being pushed around. Or if I have my little Spinergy ZX1, I'm, you know, flying around. But uh, I believe that we are these unbelievable divine forces that come into this realm that we pick our vessels and we're here to do good and to do our calling and we have to take care of our vessels so i call my body my vessel because it is my vessel it's mm -hmm. my spirit my angelic goddess divine energy within me is in this spaceship this is my vessel right here. And that is your vessel right there. My little dog's vessel. Yours, so just, yours just happened to have probably the best shoe collection of anybody <laughs> yes. I've ever known. So, yeah. And so, they never get scuffed up or yeah. dirty, do they? So, no, they don't. <laughs> Sometimes they do. Okay. But, I mean, that just, I mean, that, and if you go deep with it, like if people believe in astral travel, I can come out of my vessel and go, I'm not going to say into another vessel. But, like, yeah, I guess so. When you make love, when you make love with someone, you intertwine your vessels and your spirits intertwine. So, I mean, you don't always have to call it a body because why? Everybody, everybody has a body, but everybody has a vessel. So our good friend Kathy Buckley mm -hmm. wanted me to ask you if you were to give advice to young people today, what would it be? Oh, that's She's so all about that next generation. Yes. I think she's given up on some of us old guys, you know, but uh, no. she's all about that next generation. Oh, my brain's going a mile a millisecond because there's so many things that I can give to the children. My message to the children, no matter what you see on social media, 
or in the school or at home or anywhere, if anything makes you feel bad and not good about yourself, don't let it get you down. Go in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and know that you are rare. You are one of a kind. You are divine and nobody is like you. And you are a blessing. You are a gift. And you were put on this earth to share your magic no matter what. And don't let anybody take that away from you. Nobody. So you are divine and one of a kind. You are divine and one of a kind. Wow. That is my new... I literally text that to my roommate, reminding my roommate that he is divine and one of a kind. We all have this powerful energy, our soul, our essence, and we came into these vessels, and we are here to share it. So for all my little ones out there, you're a divine and one of a kind. So let's talk about what you're up to now. So you were, let's see, first of all, maybe we should bring this up now. You shared with me a statistic that 40% of women with disabilities are in abusive relationships. And you're working on a passion project related to domestic violence within the spinal cord injury world. Can you touch on that? Yes. If folks remember, if they listen to mine and Ati's I think we talked about that in our interview, that both Ati and I, that was a connection that we had, that we were molested at a young age and we were raped and we both were in domestic violence relationships before and after, well, she was before and after the injury for myself. I just learned about five years ago that percentage and it shocked me, it broke my heart. And I was doing a music video with this phenomenal director of USC about domestic violence. And I've always done the vagina monologues all these years to give back to the women that have been raped and abused. But right now, as I'm speaking, when I moved to the East Coast, I just finished an interview that will be in New Mobility Magazine about IPV. And what that is, is intimate partner violence. And this could be we're not focusing on physical abuse. It, it doesn't have to be that. It could be mental or emotional. It could be with a lover, a caregiver, a family member, or even a care worker. And this is going on right now. And so I have been blessed to be introduced to Michelle Ballin. She's a doctor out of Stony University. And we're working on this project to basically give back to these women that are going through this horrific situation, to give them the power, to give them the strength. And I'm here to be that voice to help guide them. Because if I can, you can. And we need to stop it. We need to disable this abuse. You also just starred in a movie, right? Is that done filming? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a, a, an indie film and you you play a a therapist in a wheelchair <laughs> talk to us about that and when when does that come out oh my gosh yes so this is very powerful because after push girls i didn't do acting for a while and so when i met the director Maram hassler 
amazing. She is the writer, the producer, and the director, and she also stars in it. So I'm one of the leads, and yes, I play a therapist. And remember when I told you earlier in the interview that I have to be careful what I ask for, good or bad, because I do manifest it. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys seen, or I'm sure you've heard of it, the book of Fifty Shades of Grey. Of course. So of course there was a movie, and when I watched the movie, um, as crazy as it was, I, I was like a little high school girl watching it. it was like so fun. I was like, no, I can't end like that. But I was inspired. And I remember rolling into my bedroom, talking to my ex, stating, they need to do a role like this. There needs to be a woman in a wheelchair because there's the stereotype that women in wheelchairs are asexual. And when I read this script, I fell in love with it because it has nothing to do with my wheelchair. And it showcases me as this powerful, sexual goddess therapist who's living her life, doing what she does, and has nothing to do with my wheelchair. Wow, what's the name of the film? It's changed. So it was called Pen Pals, but I just found out, it might change again, but it's called uh, Love, Bees, and F***ery. And when does it come out? It's gonna, well, right now, they're still editing everything, but as of the premiere, I believe it will be, I believe probably next year in Switzerland. She said it's supposed to be in Switzerland, so we were just finishing the ADR on it, so as soon as I find out, I will let you know. Congratulations. So it's, all I could say is this. There's a whole lot of lovemaking, <laughs> a whole lot of craziness, with five friends just, living their life and going through the obstacles of life and doing the best that they can. And like I said, it was very challenging because there's a scene with my girlfriend who I won't say exactly, but I had to be dunked under the water. And here I am quadriplegic forgetting, not even knowing, I'm sitting there thinking, oh yeah, I can hold my breath, I can hold my breath. But as soon as they pulled me under the water, no. I forgot, or not I forgot, I didn't know I can hold my, I can't hold my breath because I am a quad. I don't have the diaphragm, the, the, the ability to hold my breath. And when you see my arms flailing, that's not acting, that was real. Wow. Yeah, so it was very intense. It was very challenging and I was able to open up my rib cage and trust Mara to guide me and I'm very excited about this. Um. How important do you think that representation is? That people are going to see she's a quadriplegic and look at what she's doing. And she's on screen and millions of people can... Do you put yourself in that light? Now it's it. You've been on lots of stages. Now you're on a, another stage. Huge yeah. stage. That's my goal. It's been my goal because when I had the blessings of receiving Push Girls... I didn't realize the impact that it had on so many, on millions. Until this day, 10 years later, I'm still receiving messages from women who share with me that because they saw my story, because they saw what I was doing, it inspired them to live their life mm -hmm. to the fullest. And so me being on the big screen now, and my goal is to just blow it up because then I realize I can reach gazillions. Mm -hmm and really change and shift people's
perceptions without even having to leave where I am in the wheelchair. And that's powerful. You're amazing. That's so powerful. And I love it. You know, we've already been talking for an hour. I believe it. Uh, I was sitting there like, Angela, you got to shorten your answers. you got to shorten no, you your don't. answers. No, you don't. But <laughs> we just make it very difficult for my editor. So. <laughs> but we can always, I was like, gosh, can we just do one where we can do two hours and then we can talk more. For selfish reasons, yeah. I want to I put you on stage at my daughter's school in front of her whole school. I would love to. I would love to. Please, yes, that would be such a gift. Yes, she I loves love you. To. I would love to. I would love to see Sophia and talk to her classmates. That would be she's, great. Because she's, she's one that will sit with me when we're looking at your social media. So, Angela, do you have a final message for our listeners? Life is a gift. And what you do with your life is your gift back to the world, to others, and to yourself. And don't forget yourself. No matter what you go through, don't forget who you are within and don't lose that. Because that right there, who you are, you are so divine, one of a kind, and you are here for a reason. So keep shining, keep sharing your light, your source, and live life to its fullest. And that's not easy, which is why <laughs> I'm here with you today. How do people find you? How do they follow you? What's the best way? I'm getting back on social media and getting better at it because I obviously, as you guys heard, that I had my challenges. But you can find me on Instagram at the real Angela Rockwood. The real Angela Rockwood. Yes, and the reason why is it sounds so bougie or uh, just so prestigious, but no, it's like it's because I had Angela Rockwood official. Or first I had Angela Rockwood, then it went to official. And people are like, oh my God, is this the real Angela Rockwood? Is Because there are other Angela Rockwoods out there. Right. And so I said, you know what? Let me just change my name to the real Angela Rockwood. So I am the real Angela Rockwood from Push Girls. I am Angela Rockwood. And yes, I am Angela Rockwood. Mm -hmm. So the real Angela Rockwood on Instagram. Or you can also follow me at Facebook. But it's better just to follow me at the real Angela Rockwood. Instagram, the real Angela Rockwood. Cool. I hope that blows up. I really do. You guys, you're all on your phone right now. I know you're on your phone right now listening to this, so just stop right now and just follow the real Angela Rockwood. You will not be sorry. Thank you so much, Wynn. And thank you to all of you for listening and continue pushing. And if you can't stand up, stand out. Beautiful. I love you.